How are we doing out there? You doing good? Wonderful. Wonderful. Hey, so last week, I think I'll just do a bit of review uh, quickly. And um, we're still in the goodness of God. And uh, how God's goodness should be foundational to our lives. That we live our lives expecting to experience God's goodness. Literally, that it should be an expectation for our life. That we expect God to be good. That's why David said, I believed that I would see the that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right? Because too often as Christians, we're waiting for goodness to happen when we get to heaven. And so we just say, you know, I'm just going to suffer down here and I'm just going to go through down here. But one day in the by and by, I'm going to get me some goodness. For right now, I'm just going to suffer hell. Uh, hopefully, I didn't offend you when I said that. <laughs> and then we expect bad when God is good. And David had an expectation. And really, I, I encourage you to do a study on the life of David. Because David's life wasn't all good. And I'm not even talking about the Bathsheba stuff. I'm talking about the, re the reality that uh, Samuel the prophet comes along to anoint one of Jesse's boys to be king. And David's not even invited to the party. Can you imagine uh, the potential self-esteem problems that might create? You're looking at me like, like I'm strange. Okay. So here comes the prophet and says, hey, I, I want to have a, throw a party, you know, in the honor of your family because, uh, because God's chosen one of them to be the king. Go get your boys. And Jesse said, okay, I'm going to go get my boys. And he goes and gets seven of them. And he, he ain't even thinking about the eighth child, David. Like, his daddy is saying, oh, surely it's not David. Or possibly, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was thinking, it was, it's surely got to be one of my firstborn or secondborn sons. I mean, they're tall and strong. They look the part of a king. You know, it's got to be them. But David wasn't even invited to the party. And even Samuel the prophet gets, he, he kind of gets hoodwinked because he looks and he says, to, to Eliab, and, and he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God rebukes Samuel and says, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And 
boy two comes, and boy three comes, and boy four comes, and, and none of them, are, and boy five comes, and, and he's still not six, and he's still not seven comes. He's like, do you have any more sons? Because these aren't it. And he's like, well, I, yeah, I do have one more. But he's out taking care of the sheep. So here it is. Samuel the prophet is getting ready to anoint the next king. And David's, and Samuel, and I'm sorry, Jesse's first uh, seven sons come. And, you know, they're ready for the party. They're showered. Oh, y'all don't look at me like I'm crazy. While David is out with the sheep, guess what? When he comes to the party, what is he smelling like? Sheep. He's not looking the part. That's not easy life. When your own daddy don't pick you. He's on the, uh, in the field with the sheep and he's got his guitar. It wasn't a guitar. It's probably a lyre. And he's playing and he's singing and he's worshiping to the Lord. But all of a sudden there comes a bear to attack one of the sheep. And I, this, this is something you have to read. I don't, I'm just summarizing this. So I'm, forgive me. I'm just telling you this story. And the Bible says that David killed him with his bare hands. He's a boy. It was a lion. And then there was a bear that came in with his bare hands. See, in the story of Goliath, it says that he took a rock, but with the lion and the bear, it says that he killed him with his bare hands. I don't know about you. If I'm seeing a lion, I'm pull back the 70s. We booking. And a bear. Well, when Samuel anointed him, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Can you imagine that? That the Spirit rushed on him, came at him at haste. And so while he's in that shepherd, as, uh, uh, while he's in that pasture, protecting the sheep, the spirit rushes upon him with the lion and the bear. And then all of a sudden, there's a moment that his brothers are at, out at the, bat, at, uh, at, the, at, the, at the battle. He's not even chosen to go to the battle. He's not old enough to fight. He's been anointed king, but he's not even been invited to the fight. He's got destiny written in his future, but he's not even, he's not even invited to the battle. But his dad says, hey, David, I want you to go on a Jimmy John's run and take your brother some sandwiches. Literally, that's the story. Read it. And he goes to take his brothers these sandwiches. And his brother's like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? In fact, we know how conceited you are. Anybody ever had any siblings kind of dog them out? Talking out the sibling. 
And David's response, he's like, is there not a cause? And start, he starts asking questions. He starts asking questions. Well, what happens to the man that defeats Goliath? Now, you got to mind, this is a young boy. He's a teenage boy. Probably 16, 17. Can you imagine the courage that's there? Well, I guess there is. He just got to be in a lion and a bear. And they says, well, to the one who wins, the king is, is going to, he won't have to pay any taxes, and he'll give him one of his daughters. He's like, sign me up. And he goes to meet Saul. And Saul looks at him like, you, you just a runt little thing. Here, put on my armor. And David tries on his armor. He's like, this is too big. I can't wear your armor and do my fight. So he, he takes uh, Saul's armor off. And he goes to a brook and he finds five stones. And he stands before a giant that they say is about nine foot tall. And the giant starts dogging him. He said, who Why y'all playing with me? Y'all playing. Y'all brought this little bitty dog to come fight me? Read the story. Listen, I'm telling you, you don't have to watch reality TV for, for like, entertainment. Read the book. It's got some good stuff in there. And Goliath is dogging him. And David says, you come at me with spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he swings that slingshot, knocks him dead, cuts his head off. And then David, this teenage boy, takes the head and starts parading it throughout Israel. So when you cut the head off, it means that you've cut off the authority of the enemy. Right? Well, now David had done a good thing, right? I'm thinking... You thinking that's a good thing? That's, he just defeated the enemy. Well, things got worse. You would think they would get better. I mean, I, I encourage you to read the story. Things got worse. So what happened was, is all of a sudden, the ladies... Many a man got jacked up because he was listening to the, and I don't mean that in a, in a discouraging way. All of a sudden, the ladies started singing the song. Do y'all know that David had a theme song? It's recorded three places in the Bible. David had his own three theme song. And the theme song was, I don't know what the melody was, but it was Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And so here it is, King Saul is upset. He's frustrated. Like, what do you mean? I'm the king. Why are the ladies singing about him? The ladies should be singing about me. I'm the king. I'm King G, y'all. It's fascinating. And the scripture says that an evil spirit from the Lord, which there needs to be an explanation of that, because there's no... <laughs> Yeah, uh, 
And the evil spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and he was in distress, and he had anxiety, and, and he was always in a bad mood. And then what they did is they said, well, we need to find a minstrel, a musician. And all of a sudden, they find David. And, he's, and the, this says that he's good-looking, and the Lord is with him. Now, can you imagine this? So Saul brings him in. Now, I'm thinking that Saul would remember who David was. Because this is the guy that just beat down Goliath. But Saul pretends like he doesn't even know this cat. And every time this evil spirit would attack Saul, David would come and play on his instrument, and the evil spirit would leave. Why? Because David had the anointing. Remember, the Holy Spirit rushed upon him. And so when you have an, an anointed psalmist, evil spirits move out. That's why it's important, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say, that's why it's important that you have anointed music in your house. Yes, Lord, let me move back here. And now, it's still, but it's not good yet for David. Because now Saul is angry because people love David. But it's this same David that killed Goliath. That was a good thing. It's this same David that causes, every time an evil spirit comes upon him, he plays the instrument and he gets better. So you would think that Saul would be celebrating David. But Saul has been sipping on that haterade. And now he's literally pursuing David to kill him. So now you have David being pursued to be killed by Saul. And at another point, David's being pursued to be killed by the Philistines. How many know that's not easy life? Yet David's confession was, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Go to Psalms 27. I think we went there short briefly last week, right? But I don't know if I, I didn't go over it all today. Okay, all right. Psalms 27, where am I? I'm still in Isaiah, I'm sorry. Psalms 27. Now, we're going to start at verse number 13 and read verse 14. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of what? So when was David, David's expectation of goodness? When he got to heaven? While he was alive, he had an expectation of goodness now. He wasn't waiting for goodness. He had an expectation for goodness now because David is the one who penned this thought, right? David's the one. Now, you have to... He records it in, I believe it's 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34. It's 2 Chronicles or 1 Chronicles. Maybe it's 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 34. David is the one that says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercies they endure for how long? Forever. That's David that pinned that. Now, that's amazing to me, because I'm thinking, what about... Adam, 1 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 34, 32, 34. 
I'm thinking about Abraham. I'm thinking about Moses. I'm thinking about Deborah. I'm thinking about Gideon. I'm thinking about Joshua. I'm thinking about Caleb. Nobody records, nobody actually says that God is good. Now, they respond and say, and think, well, maybe God does good, but no one actually says he is good. So I, I'm wondering if they had questions about it. But David comes along and he says, no, 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 no. God didn't just do good. God is good. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For he is good. So in other words, David lived a life of gratitude, even though his father didn't choose him, even though, you know what I'm saying, even though the prophet didn't recognize him, even though Saul was mad at him, the Philistines were trying to kill him, David lived a life of gratitude, and he says, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He had expectation of goodness because he believed that God was good. You see how that can change your perspective of life? That when you believe that who God is is good, then you start expecting to receive goodness from him. So David writes at the end, 13, I believe that I would look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he says, wait on the Lord. I say, wait on the Lord. So in other words, while you're in your waiting, while it has not come to fruition, while you're still holding on to the promise, believe that God is good. Wait on the Lord. Don't start questioning his character because he didn't come in the time frame that you think he should come. Wait on the Lord. I believe it has the same nuances that, listen, I am assured that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But that might not do you any good. Because you have to read the context of why he's writing that. Verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? See, David is looking at the pages of his life. And he's noticing there's a moment that a lion and a bear showed up and God showed up. He's noticing that there was, you know, uh, that there was a, a giant that showed up, but God showed up. He's noticing that a king showed up, but God showed up. He's noticing that the Philistines showed up, but, but God showed up. And he begins to write from a page from his life, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I love it. He says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Why? Because David had an expectation to, of experiencing God's goodness. How many times do we feel like the enemy's showing up and we're like, oh, what's going to happen? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. But because David had confidence in God's goodness, his expectation was his enemies would fall, not him. Woo. Why? Because God's goodness is foundational to our life. He says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Oh, you're kidding me. Come on, David. Though war rises against me, yet I will be confident. 
I will be assured. Why? He says, one thing have I asked for the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He says, listen, I'm not afraid. I expect God's goodness. Why? Because I've spent time in his presence. Listen, you can't spend time in God's presence and, uh, and just expect bad. The psalmist says, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So there's no room for fear in his presence unless it's reverential awe and fear of the Lord. When you show enough in God's presence, you ain't got time to be quaking in your boots. So David says, I'm confident because this one thing I've made my, I made this necessary, that, I'm, I, that I dwell, that I abide in the house of the Lord, that I live in his presence to inquire in his beauty. In other words, he says, listen, I want to behold all of who he is and to inquire in his temple. In other words, he's like, I'm asking questions. So to inquire there means to simply to plow, to dig deep. See, some of us dig, you know, uh, 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 we, we get in the surface. But how many know that if you're growing anything, you don't grow things from the surface. You have to dig deep. Why? Because when you go deep, the root gets nutrient. Y'all get me? You feeling me? So God is saying, so, uh, so David is like, listen, I, this one thing I've made the priority of my life. I didn't just desire it. So, ooh, that's wonderful. I said, that's wonderful, and I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to get in God's presence. I'm inquiring in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Are you, are you checking it out? He says, listen, because I've made God my priority, because I expect goodness, I live from a different perspective. I see things differently. Anybody ever been in traffic? And if you got a, a low car, you try to slide over in the lane to say how far you got to be in. Right? So it's like David is in uh, an 18-wheeler. He's above the traffic. He can see more clearly. Why? Because he be, he's beheld his beauty, he's inquired in his temple, and that's caused him to have an expectation that he really saw him. If you really saw him, you would really want him. If you really saw him, that's why he would say in Psalms 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, to taste is to experience. God wants you to experience his goodness. He doesn't want his goodness, God is good, to be cliche. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. And it's become cliche, and it's lost its power. But no, God is good as the reality that you and I can live in. Paul writes in Romans, I believe it's chapter 3, he says that we should remain in the goodness of the Lord. 
remain in his goodness or remain in his kindness. Are y'all all right? Okay. See anything else that I want to go here? Hallelujah. We'll take that. And a new tongue. 11 says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence, but I believe. So there may be external threats, but there has to be an internal conviction. That you'll experience God's goodness while he's alive. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Well, how do you take courage? What do you take courage in? You take courage in the Lord. So there's a story of, of, uh, of David and uh, he's uh, he's he's off somewhere to where I think this is the Battle of Ziglag. He's off somewhere, and he comes back. And when he gets back to, to camp, the scripture said that the wives and the children and all their stuff were stolen. I mean, that's not easy. You come back, your wife gone, your kids gone, all your stuff gone. And not just David's stuff, it's all his, 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 his army stuff. So remember, David was the king that, um, that who followed him were the indebted, the distressed. Those are the people. That was David's makeup of his army. Men that were indebted and distressed. They said, okay, we want to be with you, David. <laughs> who wants that army? Everybody that's in debt and distressed. Oh, yeah, y'all come with me. And so now these indebted and distressed men, their wives are gone, their kids are gone. Their stuff was gone, and they were like, like angry at David. Like, you're supposed to be our leader. I thought things would get better if we followed you. Aren't you the anointed? Hallelujah. Right? And the scripture says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Take courage. Wait for the Lord. Whatever to encourage there means to repair or to strengthen, to strengthen yourself in the Lord. So you would say it another way that when somebody comes to you and, and, and say, you know, I'd say, Robert, it's going to be all right, man. It's going to work out. You're going to get a call back. You're going to be on layoff forever. You know, it's going to be good. I know this. You know, it's going to be all right. I just told that to Robert. What happens now is Robert gets strong. Oh. It's going to be all right. He gets strengthened. To encourage is to strengthen. Robert, expect God's going to be good. He's going to show up. And so David had to say, God's good. He had to repair what the breach was. Does that make sense? See, I believe that David knew something. David knew that God is Yes, good. He doesn't simply just do good. He 
pissed. Psalms 23. You got it? I'm sure you know the song by heart. You too. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, David had this expectation that goodness was before him and goodness was behind him. I believe so much to the point that, I mean, when you, I mean, David was, had his moments of stupid. So, you know, right, I mean, David was an adulterer, a murderer, a schemer, a liar. Yet God called him a man after my own heart. But this is a man that expected goodness from God. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So in other words, what, what David is actually saying, he's like, wherever I go, goodness and mercy are following me. If I go into the cave of Adullam, guess what's in the cave of Adullam? Goodness and mercy. When I go into the camp and I stand before the king of Kish, and, 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 uh, guess what's following me there? Goodness and mercy. Wherever I go, goodness and mercy is following me. Why? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercies endure forever. So you get this, as, as David's writing the, uh, this verse, he's saying, listen, goodness and mercy are going hand in hand in my life. I have ex an expectation of God's goodness and his mercy hand in hand in my life. Does anybody have that expectation? That wherever you go, you're going to meet God's goodness and you're going to meet his mercy. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Good as in some cookies, sir. But he looked at his life, and he could see God's goodness. All right. He says, wait on the Lord. Wait on him. So the word wait there is where we would say, get the word hope or trust. This is back at uh, chapter 27, at the end of that. And he says, I believe that I will look upon the Lord, the goodness of the Lord in the land and wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He's really saying hope, 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 hope in God. Hope, hope, hope. I'm about to wrap, but I'm kidding. Hope. 
That was really horrible. But hope or trust in God. Okay. So now I'm going to get you back to last week. And, and uh, then we'll go to First uh, Samuel. The review is, on day one, what did God create? Does anybody remember? Genesis chapter one. On day one, what did God create? No. God says, let there be light. And he saw that the light was good. Day two, what did God create? He separated the waters that were on the earth from waters in the heaven. It was a hydraulic system. And then he's called the expanse. What do you call it? Heaven. And then he said, that was the second day. Did he call anything good in that day? No. Day three, what did God create? Y'all can cheat. Go to your Bibles, chapter, verse, verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And God, saw, God said, let the earth uh, sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit into, in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation plants yielding seed according to their own kinds. The trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Right? You guys, this is coming back to you. Right? So day one, God saw that was good. Day two, God didn't say anything's good. Right? I told you that I was having a problem with that. Because I'm like, what's wrong with day two? Day three, God creates the earth, uh, and he creates vegetation, and God saw it was good, and he says it was good twice. Day four, where are we at? And God said, let there be lights, in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give the light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. But what about day two? What was wrong with day two? Was anything wrong with day two? No. All right. And God said, let the waters warm, uh, swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures. Yeah, you want to speak with me? I know. All right. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarms according to their kind and every winged bird and, uh, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fulfill fill the earth. Sorry, fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Day one, there's good. Day two, no good. Day three, there's good. Day four, there's good. Day five, there's good. What's wrong with day two? Is anything wrong with day two? No. Fascinating thing. 24, and God said, let, her, uh, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth uh, according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, 
uh, of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living, cream, uh, living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you, uh, uh, given every plant you can see that is on the face of the earth and every tree that was seeded in the fruit. And you should have, uh, have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given you every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so when God saw that it was very good, he looked at everything that he created, everything he made, he said it is very good, including day two. And I told you, I, I, I was having problems. Like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong with day two? Because God didn't say it was good. The issue is not what's wrong with day two. And see, I think what happens is, is our nature looks for what's wrong. Well, something's got to be bad with day two if God didn't say it was good. Anybody have a, ever had that problem? You're always looking for what's wrong? Maybe just me. But there was nothing wrong with day two. The question is not what's wrong with day two, it's why did not why didn't God not say day two was good? Well, it's because day two was not about God's goodness, it was about his what was it? It was God's glory. It was God's glory. Day two was not about God's goodness, day two was to communicate God's glory. All right. So turn to Psalms 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. I'm trying to get you to a place, so I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just kind of doing a review. Are y'all okay? Y'all awfully quiet. Psalm 19, verse number 1. Now, who wrote that psalm? Does anybody know who wrote that psalm? David wrote that psalm. So David had a revelation of God's goodness and a revelation of God's glory. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So check it out. What God is actually saying is that the heavens speak. If we would listen, the heaven is speaking about God's glory. Remember we said God is an artist. And if he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he's the artist of artists. He's the mathematician of mathematicians. He is the physi uh, uh, physician of physicians. He is the engineer of engineers. He is the architect of architects. He's the psychologist of psychologists, the sociologist of sociologists. He is Lord of lords, king of kings. And if you would listen to the voice of the heavens, the heavens would tell you that God really got it going on. So then we went to Romans chapter number four, when the Bible says that Abraham through no, had no distrust of concerning the promises of God. He did not waver in faith, 
even when he considered his own body, though it was 100 that was even dead, or Sarah's body that was 90. Y'all remember that, right? And then it says, and Abram, Abram grew strong in faith as he gave glory to what? To God. Well, that's based on Genesis chapter number 15, uh, I believe verses 4 and 5. When God says to him, hey, Abraham, uh, 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 fear not, I will be your exceeding great reward. And Abram says to God, well, what good is your reward, seeing I, as I have no heir? That the heir in my house is my servant Eleazar. What good is your promise? And I can't leave it to nobody. And God says, listen, you're, you, you know, one from your own body will be your heir. Then God takes him out, out of the tent and he says, Abram, look at the heavens. Why? Because the heavens are speaking of God's glory, his ability. He is an engineer of engineers. He is a mathematician of mathematicians. He is a physician of physicians. He is an artist of artists. He is king of kings, lord of lords, physicians of physicians. He's a physicist. He's a chemist of chemists. He knows the chemistry of your body. Abram, look at heaven and let it speak to you. Let it tell you about my glory. So the Bible says that Abram grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. He saw glory, he heard glory, and then he gave glory. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to give God glory? Turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 2, or chapter number 3. Are y'all all right? First Samuel. I think I said three. We'll see. Yeah, you're right. Chapter three, chapter two, verse thirty. Now we alluded to this last week, but I want you to see it this week. Now, there's, remember, there's a story of Eli and his wicked sons. And God rebukes Eli because he didn't deal with his sons, uh, Phineas and Hophni. Because they were stealing, they were choosing the best portions of the meat for themselves, and they were sleeping with women at the tent, the tent gate. They were some bad brothers. In fact, if, when you read, uh, I believe it's uh, chapter 2, verse 12, the scripture says that Eli's sons were worthless. Wouldn't you like that reputation? All right. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that your house, speaking to Eli, and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me will be honored. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now, remember we said the word glory in, 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 uh, in Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of the word, Lord is the word kabod. You guys remember that? Uh, kabod means uh, to, uh, to put your weight, to put the full weight of yourself on something. It, it speaks of scales in terms of weight. 
you know, how weighty are you? So the, the glory of God in the Old Testament is the issue of weight or weightiness or, or heaviness. When it says, uh, those who honor me, I will honor, that word honor there is the same word kabod. Anybody, um, if I quote the scripture, you'll know it, but I'm going to see how, you know, where you are. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Who knows it? Quote it. Y'all didn't know you was coming for a test, did you? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. I want you to get the idea. Lean not. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Lean not to your own understanding. So, when God says, those who honor me, I will honor them, the idea is those who lean their weight on me. Those that give glory to me, I'll give glory to them. So literally what God is saying, he says, lean your weight on me. Right? So in other words, if I don't lean my weight on him, I'll fall. So that's how we give him glory. Well, what does that mean? Well, trust in, Lord all your way, in all your ways, trust in Lord all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and, direct his, and he shall direct your paths. Well, how, how am I to lean my weight on him? What does that look like? Somebody tell me. Okay, so you trust him. How do you trust him? What is a practical way of trusting God? With all your heart. But what does that mean? Tell me what does it mean? Not half-hearted, but okay. But what does that mean? No doubt, but okay. What does that mean? Listening to what? Listening to his grace, listening to his spirit, okay. Being obedient to what? To his word. You cannot, you cannot give glory to God if you don't give glory to his word. You cannot trust God if you don't trust his word. You cannot say you obey God unless you obey his word. It's impossible. It is impossible to trust him without trusting his word. You cannot say, I believe God and not believe his word. You cannot seek God without understanding his word. It's impossible. 
what, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? Okay? This is what I'm talking about. I'm going to use two examples and just allow me to use them. Okay? I'm not coming for you. Are you with me? I just want to give you a practical way of understanding what I'm talking about. Are y'all all right? Okay. You cannot say you trust God and you don't tithe. It's impossible. I love you. But you can't. You cannot say that you trust God and and, and, and you don't do what he said. It's just impossible. It just doesn't work. Now, I'm not saying that we don't, aren't on our journey. I'm not saying that we're not growing. But the way that you practically every day give glory to God is to lean your weight into his words. Because you cannot separate him from his words. What? You cannot separate God from his word. So, anybody ever been like me and you said you would do something but you didn't do it? And that's called duality. That would be that I would be unfaithful. Faithful means fidelity. But the scriptures teach that when God speaks, he also acts. That he is the same as his word. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with him. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Jesus would say in John chapter 17, he says, I and the Father are one. When you see me, you see him. There's no duality between word and Father. You cannot say that you trust the Father and you don't trust the word. Jesus says, you don't know the Father because if you knew the Father, you would know me. There's no duality in the Godhead. He is one. They lying. Well, you have to ask the question. Do you believe the book? They lying. It's just clear. So you ask the question, do you believe what Jesus says? Yes, 
Well, Jesus says, no man comes to the Father but by me. I am the only way to the Father. No one else. Jesus is not a liar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and so what I, and I, you know what, I don't fight that. That's right. You know, the scripture says, the God of this age is blind to the eyes of the unbeliever lest they believe. So they're just blinded by the devil. Because this is black and white. This, I mean, this is, get the red letter edition. Like, these are Jesus' words. And so we give glory by simply obeying what he says. What do you mean? Everything in creation obeys God's word but mankind. If we want the same results, I, I, I a friend of mine said it like this. He says, right revelation, right response, right results. So you ask the question, you can't trust what you don't know, right? It's a very true statement. So you would say, well, how do I trust God if I don't know him? Well, what you do is you pick up the word and you find out what he's revealed about himself. See, this book is not a book about, if you read the book of Daniel, that book is not about Daniel. I know, I know we think it is. The book of Joshua is not about Joshua. The book of, you know, Esther is not about Esther. The book of Nehemiah is not about Nehemiah. The book is about the God in Nehemiah's life. How God unveiled himself throughout humanity so that humanity would know him and experience him. And so our responsibility is to pick up the book. And if we go to the Old Testament, we might be confused, but listen, stay there, don't dog it. But then if you, really, you want to know him, go to the New Testament because the Bible says that Jesus is the exact imprint. If you want to know the Father, look in the face of Jesus. And trust Jesus' words. My sheep, Hear my voice, and another they will not follow. In other words, his sheep obey. Now, I don't want to, uh, I, I don't want you to hear any kind of condemnation because that's not the point. Scripture says, for there is no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Many of us, all of us, are on the road of mind transfiguration or mind, mind transformation. Our minds are being renewed every day. So we stop believing the foolishness and the pressures of that on the outsides. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of mind that you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of the Father. So who's supposed to, uh, uh, to prove the will of the Lord? You are. Well, how do you do that? By getting a transformed mind. 
And I'm telling you, your mind is not transformed if you expect bad. Because who God is, is good. That's who he is. I, I think it's Deuteronomy, either chapter six, or, uh, chapter four, chapter six, or chapter eight. Uh, uh, I think it's chapter six. I'm going to turn there. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. What you, you guys do that? Numbers. Come on, it's right here. I know it's right in front of me. I know what's in here, y'all. I'm sorry. Lose chapter six. I'm just missing the verse says that his commands are always for your good I don't have my phone right there I will google it ah here we go verse 24 and the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. You see that? To fear the Lord our God for our, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, all these commands, right? To fear the Lord our God. You cannot fear the Lord without obeying his word, right? For our good, how, how long? All. So, you know, uh, I was, uh, uh, this morning I was preaching at uh, Life Challenge. You might have heard of Life Challenge. Life Challenge, anybody ever heard of Teen Challenge? 
be a teen challenge now, a life called Life Challenge. And uh, Life Challenge is a, uh, a ministry uh, for those who have life-controlling circumstances. So whether they, you know, uh, had an addiction uh, or uh, alcoholics or, you know, you name it, uh, they come and it's a treatment program, uh, uh, a Christian-based uh, treatment program. And, uh, you know, uh, as I was, I was chatting with them, I, you know, I think about too often, I think I may have shared this with you guys before, too often we think about church and we think about prohibition, the things that we can't do. We think, oh, I can't have fun no more. I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that either. Oh, my God, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And we live by thou shalt not. But Genesis chapter 1 gives us an incredible insight that the first commandment was a commandment of permission. Not a commandment of prohibition. And too often we live our lives from Genesis chapter 3 and not Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 3 is the, the chapter about the fall. Genesis chapter 1 is about the intention. And we live our life from our failure and not from its design. And so by the time you get to, to Deuteronomy uh, chapter number 4, verse 34, did I say chapter 4, chapter 6, which was it? Chapter 6, verse 34. That God says, listen, I know y'all messed all that up, but trust me, all my commands, they're always for your good. You know why I say uh, don't, uh, don't commit adultery? Because I don't want you to have drama. I don't want you to have drama. You got, we have drama because we don't obey his command. I don't want you to feel. Why? Because I don't want you to have drama. I don't want you coveting other people's stuff because I don't want you to have drama. I don't want you to put any other gods before me because I don't want you to have drama. Because when you have other gods, they are worthless gods, and you become what you worship. So God says it's always for your good. So Lord, I thank you that you have commands for us, and they're always for our good. And Lord, you told us that if we would honor you, you would honor us. If we would lean our weight on you, God, that you would lean your weight on us. <laughs> and Lord, what would happen if heaven leaned in our direction? <laughs> all of heaven's resources leaned in our direction. Lord, our lives would be different. And Lord, that happens when we trust your goodness. When we believe that you have a better plan for our lives than we have for our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us do that. They will trust your word. That your word is always for our good. We give you praise for this. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Enjoy your night. You have a question? I'm sorry. Yeah, all right. Y'all can have, you got five minutes. You can ask questions. Yeah, okay. So right revelation, when you have the right revelation of who God is, and you have the right response to that revelation, then you have the right results. Okay, does that make sense? So when we believe about when we believe about God, what God has revealed about Himself, and then we respond to that revelation of Himself, then we have the right results. Right? Yeah. Any other questions?
All right. Well, good night. Bless y'all.